Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we are back to keep our discussion going on ableism. In the last episode, we spoke about the definition of ableism, which is a socially constructed system that favors being non-disabled, leading to discrimination, unequal opportunities and rights, and oppression of disabled people. We also define the medical and the social model of disability and how the medical model sees disability as a negative or a bad change from the quote-unquote norm. And because of that, people with disabilities are often thought of as deficient or broken or damaged and in need of being fixed or cured by medical professionals. Under the medical model, disability is seen as the disabled person's problem because of their impairment or because of their condition. And of course, none of that is true. And Brittany and I do not agree with the medical model of disability, but we bring that up again in this episode because as, because as we continue our talk on ableism, we're going to see that The medical model really is the mainstream model of how disability is seen and portrayed, and mainstream attitudes towards disability really reflect the medical model. Well, this is why learning about ableism is so important, because it really does help allow us to be aware of the ways that we're being treated, where previously we may have thought that we were the problem. We are the issue with our broken, deficient bodies, which is not true. But now we can start to unpack these beliefs that have kind of been ingrained in us from our society. Perhaps we can come to view ourselves from more of a social model of disability, which doesn't see disability as the disabled person's problem or burden to be fixed or cured, but rather a societally constructed issue, which has to do with societal inequity, negative attitudes, and social barriers. One of the first ableist beliefs that we want to talk about today, because There are so many, so we really had to whittle down the best ones that we wanted to bring on the show because we could devote the entire episode. Actually, we could could devote the entire podcast about ableism, and I'm sure there are podcasts entirely dedicated to ableism because it is so prevalent in our society. But one of the things that we want to mention is something that is something really important to Brittany and I to break this belief is this really ableist mindset that that people who are chronically ill or disabled just like somehow are not valuable enough to get a good partner. And so the partners who are in relationships with people who are chronically ill and or disabled deserve a prize, right? Like, oh, Amy, wow, your partner is such an incredible person. What a saint that he stays by poor old chronically sick and disabled you. Or conversely, because you managed to snag a partner with your broken, battered, terrible body, that you're so lucky to have somebody who would put up with all of that 
What a luck that they would choose you for some reason. How <laughs> lucky of you that you have somebody who loves you. Ha! <laughs> How lucky. <laughs> wow, you're so lucky. I mean, you know, there are a lot of crap partners out there. I mean, I'm sure many of us listening have had terrible partners that don't support us or that or that actively gaslight and dismiss us. I know that I have. Raise your hand if you've had a terrible partner. Lots of hands, as we thought. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, this is because there are many fair weather partners. And these are people who are only around when the weather is good. People who leave as soon as things get challenging. And challenges can be anything from getting sick to losing a job to loss to something else. And these fair weather partners, they leave. Because they, note the heavy emphasis on the word they, they lack the capacity to love and support another person. They don't leave because we are broken, because we're not. They don't leave because we are unlovable, because we're not unlovable. They don't leave because we're terrible people, because we're sick and or disabled, because we're not terrible people. They leave because they don't have the capacity to stick around. They don't know unconditional love and they don't know how to support another human being. And that is all on them. So why are we telling sick and or disabled people that they are lucky to have love and that they are lucky to have a partner? Yeah, that's a great question. It's an answer I'd love to know. Do you have an answer? Because so far, nobody else has been able to give me one. I do have an answer, Brittany. Thank goodness. It's my opinion, but I'm pretty sure it's right. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the answers I come to this podcast for. Okay. (laughs) You know how we keep talking about, we keep harping on and on about the medical model and how the medical model of disability says, oh my gosh, people with disability are so damaged and broken. Those tragedies, those poor souls. Why would anyone want to stay with us if we are so damaged and broken? What a terrible fate for a partner to be stuck with deficient, broken old us. How will our partner ever be happy when we're a burden latched onto their side? I cringe. (laughs) Wince, wince. Heavy sarcasm there. (laughs) Give me a break. Like, seriously, (laughs) I can't I can't with this mindset that if you're sick or disabled or chronically ill, that you can't also be an incredible person with your own inherent value. Like, I'm still funny. Debatable. Funnier than Amy. Fine. I'm still smart. Er than Amy. I'm still (laughs) caring. Er than Amy. (laughs) I'm still more compassionate than Amy and kinder and more creative and a great listener compared to Amy. (laughs) But for real, all of those attributes that exist in people who are not disabled and who are not chronically ill aren't exclusive to them. Like, we also have those traits. We are full and complete human beings. Oh, my gosh. Mind-blowing news. Where is the front pages <laughs> extra, of every extra, newspaper? Read all about it. We need BBC, CNN, ABC. We know all the major news outlets to come here. Chronically sick and disabled people still have inherent value. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. I never would have thought. Who knew? Gosh. Not society. <laughs> Definitely not. Not society. <laughs> okay, but real talk for a second. What have we been doing the whole time? I'm joking. This oh. is real talk moment. Real talk moments with Brittany. <laughs> serious time. <laughs> well, I wanted to get serious for a minute because I think this feeling, this struggle 
of feeling like we're a burden is something many of us experience. It's a common topic that we talk about in our community about feeling like you're a burden on your loved ones, on your friends, on your coworkers, on your partners. It's something that we experience. And we did do an entire episode dedicated to feeling like a burden because it's such a prevalent topic that comes up. One so, of our best episodes. It so is. I've I mean, so we. So we have been told. <laughs> So if you're struggling with that specifically, we definitely recommend giving that a listen because we were and so many of us still are. And I think that that feeling, that feeling that's maybe hidden in our hearts or a little bit more on our forefront of our mind can either be planted there or exacerbated by these comments that people make in our communities, in our society. Making comments like we're lucky to have a partner makes us feel like we are a burden, like, oh, maybe I am lucky to have a partner. I can never let this partner go because nobody else would ever want me because I'm disabled and sick. And it makes this festering, poisonous comment that leeches into how we feel about ourselves. We think of ourselves as less than. We're not a regular partner. Our partner deserves to have someone who's normal and not broken like we are. And so we devalue all of the things that we bring to the table in a relationship, whether that's romantic or platonic. And devaluing ourselves is wrong because we have so much inherent value regardless of our traits. But the traits that we have are also awesome. They don't get removed just because we're disabled or chronically ill. Sure, we may have limitations when it comes to what society views as productive or a productive member of society. Oh, I want to eye roll so hard. I'm so tired of hearing about being productive. I.e. code word for be more consumeristic. Be involved in capitalism. Money, money. (laughs) Make money for my company. And then whatever money you earn, spend it so that you don't have any money so that the wheel keeps turning. Yeah. It's all about production. Never rest. Rest when you're dead. Yeah. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Mm -hmm. You will. (laughs) But just because we maybe can't produce or be as productive as society tells us we're supposed to be, that doesn't diminish the other things that we can do. That doesn't diminish our creativity, our capacity to love, our capacity to care, our, our fun, our joy, our intelligence, or the things that we like. None of those get diminished just because we're chronically ill or disabled. Something that my chronic illness and my dynamic disability has taught me over these couple, last couple of years as I've begun unpacking the internalized ableism that I have that I didn't even know that I have, which is why talking about this is so important because it's been able to put a name to so many feelings and beliefs I have about myself that are very common in the chronically ill and disabled community. And having a label on them has allowed me to take a step back and look at them objectively and say, where do these beliefs come from? And are these beliefs true about me? Like, are they actually true? I know I keep telling myself that they're true. Oh, you're a burden. That's so true. But when I take a step back, I'm like, when did I start believing this? And is this a truth? Or is this a belief that I have convinced myself is true and and it's actually potentially not true? And something that I've been learning is that every single thing that I believed about my value in this world was totally wrong. Everything that I believed about what success was and my value and my success, it was really tied to my ability to be independent, my ability to work hard and produce and make money. And for me personally, because we all get to choose what our, what our values are in terms of our what we believe is success and achievement and 
our worth. But for me, I've realized that that is not where I want to put my worth and that is not where I want to put my value. And believing that I need to be independent and I need to be a hard worker and be in a certain place in my you know, career status and all this really could not be further from the truth. Now I'm finding my value in my creativity, my compassion, my kindness, my ability to love, my ability to lift up other people, to be a good listener, to be there for others, to make a difference in this world. That is where I'm now finding my value. And as I'm figuring out where my personal value lies, I'm feeling less and less and less like a burden because when my value is tied to being independent, but I needed help for something, I needed help taking out my trash for weeks and weeks after I had my surgery because I lived alone at that time. When I need help washing my hair and I have to ask my partner to wash my hair, when I can't do things on my own, when I have to call in sick for days at a time from work or when I couldn't work because I was too sick, all of that made me feel like I was worthless and I had no value and I was a huge burden because my value came from this belief that I had to be independent and I had to be this like productive hard worker. And I really think that these ableist ideas of we are these burdens to our partners, these burdens to society because, you know, we have limitations in our capacities. I just think that is just so detrimental, not only to us and asking for the help that we need and feeling confident about asking for help, but also just detrimental to our soul and to the way that we feel about ourselves. This is one of the ableist beliefs that I hate most when I hear people say, you're so lucky to have a partner who loves you. It's like, why? Why Why am I lucky? Why is that person lucky? Don't they have a right? Don't they deserve, like every other person on this earth, to have a partner that loves them? For a really long time, I internalized those beliefs and I thought that no one would love me because I was sick. And so I was in this really toxic relationship And I stayed in that relationship for like three years, more than I really should have. And it was so draining on me and it was so toxic. But I was afraid if we broke up, if I get out of that relationship, that I would be alone. I would be alone because no one would love me because I'm chronically ill and because I'm nothing because I'm chronically ill. And I had no boundaries and I did things that I didn't want to do. I always said yes to everything. I always quieted my opinion and my needs because I desperately wanted to please others and be more likable to make up for my illness. Like my illness was some terrible defect in life and that it was this horrible chip on my shoulder that I always had to be trying to make up for. And so instead of saying to people, oh my God, you're so lucky to have a caring, supportive partner, as if we can't get partners who are caring and supporting because we're so defected with our chronic illnesses and disabilities, what I think we should be saying is, what a shame that so many people in this world haven't learned the beauty of unconditional love. They haven't learned how to support their loved ones through anything. Because to me, that is the true tragedy in a relationship that people don't know how to love fully and they don't know how to support other people, we are not the tragedy because we're sick and disabled. So next we wanted to spend a little time talking about some of the offhand comments that offhand, let me correct myself, offhand 
ableist comments. Oh, more comments? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That are, that are levied against us it's kind like of on the are, regular. People are addicted to making comments. Like, people love giving people their opinion. People can't keep themselves to themselves, no. They just love to come up and just... Have you ever worn something like you've worn a shirt that's, I don't know, yellow? And the people just come up and they're like, oh, my God, your shirt is so yellow. And you're like, yeah, that's why I put it on. Wow. I didn't realize that. (gasps) Is my shirt yellow? Thank you for telling me because I had not realized the color of my shirt. There's a difference between saying, I like your shirt or I like that color yellow and your shirt is yellow. Like, yeah, good job. (laughs) And the sky is blue. Are we learning our colors today? Like, come on, leave me alone. So what other ableist comments that people just march up to you and say, Brittany? Okay, so picture this, which you'll be able to easily because you have endometriosis. So picture this. You can't work or you're unable to complete any coursework or a trade because you're too sick. Or you call out for a week because you're on your period. You're having a flare and you're not able to do the work or the school. You are not well. Limitations abound. Yes. So here's the comment that you may get. I wish I could stay home from work or school or trade or whatever it is and not do anything all day. That sounds great. Oh, my gosh. I wish I could stay home all day and watch TV like you. Netflix has mm-hmm. so many good shows on. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like when you don't go to work because you're too sick. It's like being retired. Yeah. It's wow. like you just lay at home and do nothing all day. I just want to lounge all day like you. <laughs> but I have to go to work. Ridiculous. <laughs> Newsflash. I want to lounge at home all day and do nothing, too. But uh, writhing on the floor, screaming in pain, is not doing nothing, so mm, really not lying at home doing nothing. That's what I want to say <laughs> when I get that comment. Yeah, I'm at home in a flare, just basically trying to keep myself alive and well, just trying to survive my flare, you know, trying to feed myself, trying to use the toilet, trying to sleep, lying in pain, sitting in pain, standing in pain unable to get any chores done at all because I'm in pain. I'm not able to exercise. I'm not able to do any of the hobbies, the multiple hobbies that I've had to give up over the years. I'm not able to do those. I'm not watching Netflix. No. I mean, I put it on the background. To distract me from the sounds of my constant retching and diarrhea. But But I can't follow the plot because I have brain fog. I'm in pain and I'm too busy being super exhausted, trying to manage my body, stretching because my legs hurt, crying in pain, scheduling doctor's appointments, preparing what I have to say in the doctor's appointments that I have my best chance of combating all the biases that I'm going to face. So, um, hmm. Here's what we say instead. Oh, wow. You only had to go to work today? (laughs) I wish I could only have to go to work like you. Oh, that sounds so easy. That's what we'll say back from now on, okay? (laughs) We're like, oh, I just want to lounge all day like you. Like, yeah, it's a vacation. Yeah? Right. It's not like we're playing hooky. You know when you play hooky, which is when you pretend to be sick so that you don't go to school (laughs) or you don't go to work and you're like, oh, I called in sick, which is a perfect excuse to get out of something. It's not like that because we're actually sick. This isn't the whole like playtime sick. This is the real time sick. Here's a comment that I got on multiple occasions with a little bit of variance. So I'll say one and then we'll giggle and then we'll do one of the ableist deviations and then we'll giggle and then we'll do another deviation and then we'll giggle. A variation on a melody, a harmony, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> this is harmonizing the earlier comment. <laughs> so here's a really great one. That will leave you shocked. Not really. You probably heard it as well. I wish 
I had chronic diarrhea, so then I could be thin like you. Wow. (laughs) There's just like so many things wrong with that. Okay, so do you want the fatigue, the kidney stones, the dehydration, the rushing to the toilet, the fear of food? Do you want all the other things that go with that as well? The pain, the pooping in the bags, in your car, the adult diapers at times. Do you want all of that? Does that all seem really worth it to you? You know what I'm wondering? How I got chronic diarrhea and I didn't get skinny. (laughs) So where's the justice? If you're going to say to someone, I wish I had chronic diarrhea so I could be skinny. Well, look, come to other people who have chronic diarrhea and aren't skinny, which is not why you're skinny because of chronic diarrhea. And also, if it is, that's because I have malnutrition. But thank you. (laughs) If you got skinny from chronic diarrhea, that's because I'm ill. (laughs) You're clearly very sick and you need a doctor. Yeah. As saying as someone who got very thin from chronic diarrhea and needed a doctor. had malnutrition and dehydration. And was underweight and anemic and passing out all the time with dehydration, with going to the hospital, with nine kidney stones from the dehydration in like four years. So Oh, with being so fatigued, I could not open a door because that's how weak I was. So, um, yeah, I guess that, I guess that was a great trade to be skinny. Yeah, I mean, I guess I get the opposite. You know, I get the, well, yeah, no wonder why you're sick because I'm not a skinny person. So I guess there's a trade-off. You get, oh, you're so skinny because you're chronic diarrhea. And I get, yeah, I mean, no wonder why you're sick because I'm a fat person. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we each got one. And what really gets to me with that comment is, first of all, a blatant disregard for how clearly ill I was and how much I was struggling, struggling to eat, struggling to make it to the bathroom, struggling to leave the house because I was so afraid of pooping myself. Not to mention the ableist prioritizing of the way that I look being more important than my health and the way that I feel. Like, it was clear that I was not well. And it was like, oh, my gosh, wow. I'd be not well to look like you. Like, that's really, that's really unhealthy. (laughs) That's extremely unhealthy to prioritize the way somebody looks over what's causing that, which happens to be an extremely debilitating illness. So that comment is common. And the converse, like I mentioned, is also common of the assumption that because my body weight is higher than what somebody may consider acceptable for them, that I must be sick and I deserve to be sick. So it goes both ways. I think the prioritization of how you visually appear to somebody over how what's going on inside of your body is so incredibly ableist. And now we're going to bring in our beautiful deviation of the whole like appearance for chronically ill people. Brittany, take it away. Yeah, my least favorite of all comments is the, wow, you're really pretty for a disabled person. You're really pretty for a person in a wheelchair. You're really beautiful for a sick person. Like, excuse me? (laughs) Excuse me? You're too pretty to be sick, said one of my doctors. You're too pretty to. He probably saw how thin Mm. I was and was like, oh, go get it, I do beauty standards. (laughs) Meet those Western beauty standards, honey. No, that comment is so egregious, and it's not made up. That's something that people have been told and have heard, none Amy of, included. <laughs> none of these are made up, and unfortunately, these are common. Like, this isn't – these comments I've heard multiple times myself, and these are comments that people in our community hear. And the issue with these comments is two-pronged, because the first part is 
reinforcing that false narrative that the only reason we exist is to be aesthetically pleasing or to be attractive to somebody. The only reason we exist is to serve the visual pleasure of somebody else. That's a problem. Huge problem, and I can't stand it. Nope. And the second half is that we have a quantifiable limit for being attractive because we're disabled or chronically ill or in a wheelchair. So you can only be so attractive if you use a a mobility-assistive device. You can only be so attractive if you're chronically ill. There is a maximum beauty standard for people (laughs) who are sick. Yeah. If you are above X level of pretty, and who the heck decides? I guess ableist society has decided, like all the airbrushed, photoshopped models that we see in this societal standards of beauty. I guess those are who is deciding. Who is deciding that this person media and marketing to be sick? Who? Mm -hmm. Like, first of all, just who? We all get to decide what we feel is beauty and not beauty. And there's so many different types of beauty. But, you know, apart from being objectified, which is something that I cannot stand, this can impede in our care. Because when we go to the doctor and we're told, oh, you're too pretty to be sick, and our doctor is telling us that, it's like, okay, doctor, are you taking seriously the fact that I am sick? Or are you just looking at me or like you're too young to be sick, right? It's like, How many times have we been told you're too X to be sick, which is basically a form of gaslighting to say like, oh, you're not what I consider sick, so you're not sick, so therefore that affects my care. Yeah, if every time a doctor said to you, oh, you're too pretty to be sick, you just magically were cured, that'd be so great. (laughs) Can Can we just make that happen instead of those comments? Could that be like at a makeup commercial? You chronically ill, put on this makeup magically, no more. <laughs> wow, your endometriosis is gone with the proper mascara, concealer, and a little bit of blush on your cheeks. It's the same as excision. Oh my gosh. Can't access excision? Buy this lipstick color. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's excision in a tube. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, we got. Excision in a pill, right? Excision in a pill. So, no, we don't. That's, Disclaimer, that's false. That's sarcasm. Heavy sarcasm. Heavy, heavy sarcasm there. We have to be clear. And the flip side to that coin, which proves that there's just no perfect way to be sick for doctors. Apparently, they think there's some perfect way to present as sick, but there's not. When because... we figure it out, we'll let you all <laughs> yeah. know, and we will all do whatever it, ne- whatever it takes to convince the doctors that we're sick. Yeah, because people who are not conventionally attractive often get dismissed because they're seen as lesser than by society. So there is one point. People who are plus size often just get told, yeah, well, if you lost weight, all of your problems would go away. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's not a thing. Mm, I came to you for a broken wrist. So yeah, you're saying if I dropped a away, few pounds, it would just like heal on its own? Mend itself? <laughs> I wish. Yeah, no, that's not how that works. I think if I tried that and it didn't work, that would be some kind of malpractice and lawsuit waiting to happen. Yeah, I think I'm going to write down that you said that. (laughs) Okay, so you don't want to put a cast on me. You just want me to lose weight. Is that? That's why I always Mm. say, oh, so you're you're refusing to treat me. So please write down in my chart that you've refused to treat me and have only recommended that I lose weight for my XYZ condition. So we get both sides of the coin. We get either the you're too much of this, you're too young, or you're too old, or you're too pretty, or you're too quote-unquote fat, or you're too quote-unquote this, you're too whatever. There's no perfect way to be sick, apparently, because doctors have a comment for every way that we present, and it's very frustrating, and society has a comment for every way we present. 
It's the, well, of course you're sick because X, Y, Z. Well, there's no way you could be sick because X, Y, Z. <laughs> oh, my God. So what am I supposed to look like? <laughs> I can't win. <laughs> a husk. I would just, I would, don't perceive me. I would just present as a husk of a human. I am mere skin and bone. I have no features. <laughs> Nothing. I'm a sheath. That's how I will present from now on. The last casual remark that I think a lot of us hear pretty often if we have a visible disability or a visible chronic illness or we have some kind of way that is different than the norm. So, for example, if we, you know, are in a restaurant and let the wait staff know that we want to order something that's, I don't know, that's gluten-free, dairy-free, blah, blah, blah. We're looking for a special accommodation, just something where it's like obvious that it's not the ableist standard. And I think that People are so curious and they just love morbidly. They just love to just curiously know. They're just like, I have to know your personal, private medical information. And so you'll just be there minding your own business with your heating pad hooked up at work, a little hunched over in the chair, just trying to get through your, just trying to get through the day. (laughs) Please let me get through the day. And then coworkers just saunter up and they see your heating pad and they're like, What's wrong with you? What's- Do you have an hour? Because if you'd like to sit down, I could- <laughs> I'm kidding. No. The answer is no. You don't have access to my private medical information. Oh, my gosh. You don't eat XYZ. Why? Because it's gross and so are you. You don't have access to my private medical information. Oh, you have a mobility assistive device? What's wrong with you? You're what's wrong with me. Leave. (laughs) You have no access to my private medical information. Oh, you have accommodations at work? What's wrong with you? Everything and nothing. (laughs) And also you, please still leave. Why are you here? You don't get access to my private medical information. Plus, what do they want anyway? Like, okay, they see me and they're like, what's wrong with you? Okay, like when I wore gloves in the office, when I... We were going into the office and I had to wear gloves and carry my own special soap and wear a mask. This is pre, pre-pandemic, pre-COVID. I had to do all this because I was having major allergies to soap, which was not fun to have my like personal private life seen by all these, you know, 100 office workers who were like, oh my God, why are you wearing gloves and you wash your dishes? What's wrong with you? Why are you wearing a mask on your face like that? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me is you. Get out of my face. There's tons of stuff wrong with me, but I don't want to talk to you about it, and you won't get it, and you won't care anyway, and you will just make me feel like crap because you don't understand, and you'll just be like, oh, my God, that sounds really sucky, <laughs> you poor, pitiful tragedy of a human <laughs> being. You're just a charity case, and I just want to, like, be like, oh, my you're God, so you're so lucky you have a job. <laughs> you're so lucky you have a partner, and you made me feel so much better about my life. Like, was you're like, an inspiration really, to really me. really crappy about my life until I saw you with your mask and your gloves on, not for COVID, as I said, because it's pre-COVID, but for all of your, like, allergy <laughs> issues, and you're hunched over, and you're wearing, like, a one of those heating pads that are battery-operated, and I'm just like, wow, thank God I'm not her. And then I go sit in my chair, and I'm like, oh, my God, did you see that girl with the gloves on and the mask on and the... <laughs> I've, I've decided. Here's how we're answering. So somebody comes up to you and says, what's wrong with you? You just slap them in the back. face. No, no, even better. You take a step back. You give them the look up and down with the eyebrow raised and go, well, what's wrong with you? And then you walk away. <laughs> this is just how we greet each other now. <laughs> no more... Hi, how are you? You just come and go, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Oh, wow. Or you do like a little bit of a, you put your finger in an arrow, like you do a pointing first finger and you're just like, 
you point it at their face, you point it at their shoes, you point it at their middle, and you're just like, ooh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> at least I'm not you. Woo! What you're is- going to leave them questioning. You're going to leave them guessing. Okay? <laughs> no, I got a really good one. They're like, what's wrong with you? And then you you go, oh, and you wrinkle your nose up. Oh, my God. Ooh, oh. And you fake like you're going to vomit. And you're like, oh, what's wrong? I think it's you. What, what's wrong with you? And then you like do like wave your hand in front of your face like, like that's please stinky. Please leave. I think it's you. <laughs> um, did you poop yourself? Okay, bye. <laughs> I did earlier, but we're not going to talk about that. Can you leave, please? <laughs> It's just, I like to, you know, my response after getting a lot of these comments is to literally ask them back. Like I said earlier, like, you're too pretty to be XYZ. Like, you're too rude to be XYZ. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Like, just asking the question back, it's satisfying, okay? (laughs) Because we don't need to spend our time or energy educating anybody. We don't need to spend our time or energy disclosing anything to anybody. Not your business. They are not our doctor. They are not our friend that we've decided to talk to about it. They are not a close loved one that we've decided to share information not with. Your they business. are nobody. Nobody. Not your business. So they can go sit back at their desk and figure out what's wrong with them. You're going to leave them with that question for <laughs> days. It's going to haunt them. It's a little bit of retribution, okay? <laughs> our next lovely kidding ableist topic that we're going to talk about is wellness culture, particularly influencer wellness culture. Ooh, wellness culture. Or should we maybe call it, I'm going to blame you for your sickness culture. (laughs) I think that's what I'm going to rebrand it. No more wellness because that's obviously false. I'm going to blame you and gaslight you into buying my product culture. That's what I'm going to call it. Oh, my God. I love that culture because it makes me feel so inadequate and like a failure because I've tried all these things that you recommended that apparently made you really well, but I'm still sick. So apparently it must be on me because I'm inadequate and I'm not trying hard enough. Is it, it is. that if culture? If you just attended my $499 retreat for two days, I think you actually would have had a better chance at that curative restoration working. But you neglected to prioritize everything else over your, your own personal well-being. So I'm sorry. There's nothing more I can do for you other than my $499 yoga retreat for two days that you can attend if you sign up at the link in my bio. <laughs> no, that was not red. That was just an amalgamation of my experience. <laughs> you can reverse and cure your chronic illness. Your incurable chronic illness, you can cure it if you just try a little bit harder. If you just take a little bit better care of yourself. If you just manifested a little bit more intensely, I'm sure that an incurable cure would just find its way in your lap magically. If you just thought a little more positively, did yoga and smiled, ate organic food. Smile more. Then you would be just fine. You'd be A-okay. You'd be fine and dandy. But you're not. And you know why you're not? Because if you are sick, you are defective. You, Y-O-U, are to blame. You know why, Brittany? You know why? Because wellness culture says that we have absolute control over our health. So if we are sick, then we, we must be doing something wrong. Don't think about, I don't know, genetics or access to healthcare, inequities, socioeconomic status, all the isms, racism, ableism, classism, sexism discrimination no 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 no. none of that exists in this perfect beautiful rainbow called wellness culture we have the same access because i have great access so you should too 
Yeah, it's the ideology that everybody has the same exact access as them. I can just and go the to the same, doctor. And the same exact bodies. I if can we just do take this one supplement things. and it makes everything better. So that should apply to you too. I went gluten-free. So when you go gluten-free, you're going to have the Rock same your results. It's going to change your life, babe. It's going to be so good. I roll. We actually have a few episodes coming up devoted to wellness culture, so we want to keep this section pretty short. Just a quick mention because we feel that ableism plays such a huge role in diet and wellness culture that it just would not be right to do a two-part series on an overview of ableism without mentioning diet and wellness culture. Diet and wellness culture is extremely toxic. and The great majority of recommendations, quote-unquote recommendations, are not evidence-based. So many of them are, apart from being extraordinarily expensive at times and inaccessible, so many of them are useless and can even be harmful to us. There's so many detoxes and cleanses and juices and unregulated supplements and like magical, quote-unquote, like magical things that will cure you and make you healthy, quote unquote. There's just so many ridiculous ideas and claims that really will do nothing more than line the pockets of the person selling it. They're not going to make you healthy. They're not going to detox you. They're not going to cleanse you. They're not going to do XYZ, ABC thing that they're claiming. Wellness culture is predatory. It is seeped in privilege and healthism and cultural appropriation and ableism. You know, in terms of ableism, there is this individual focus on our health that ignores the social determinants of health, that ignores oppression, that ignores inequities, that ignores genetics and other factors. And instead, it just proclaims that if we all just made the right choices, quote-unquote right choices, we'd be healthy if we just did it right. If we just did it perfect, then we'd have no health problems whatsoever. And it's just BS. Like, it is utter BS. These wellness practices are not going to cure your incurable illness. And that is why it is so frustrating, apart from everything else that I just mentioned, It's so infuriating. People come up to you and they're like, oh my gosh, if you just did this thing, you would feel better. And it's like, no. (laughs) Instead of supporting the chronically ill, wellness culture says that we should blame them. We should blame chronically ill patients because health is viewed as entirely a person's responsibility and therefore is a reflection of their morals or their efforts. Are you sick? It must be your fault. But it's not our fault. And the healthism and ableism from diet and wellness culture leads to a lot of judgment and blaming, looking down on people, fat phobia and discrimination, disordered eating or obsessive health behaviors, and so much more having a detrimental impact on ourselves, on our self-worth, on our self-esteem on our care, and on our physical and mental health. Well, and the other piece is that part of it being ableist is that these people are profiting off of selling 
cure-alls to people that are not going to cure them. So when you're profiting off of selling things to people, you're taking advantage of a group of people. And in addition to that, you're also taking advantage of a group of people that you're telling them they can't possibly know what's good for them. Only I know, the person with all the knowledge in the $499 yoga retreat for two days, link in my bio. I'm the only person who knows what's good for you. You can't possibly know. So I'm going to tell you this regimen that I've packaged together for hundreds of dollars because you need me and I'm going to make a profit off of you because I have the power. And so that's where it comes in with ableism is that we are in charge of our treatment option. We are in charge of our wellness. And it doesn't have to be packaged and sold to us and given to us in a way that demeans us. And that's the issue with the pervasive culture that we see in wellness Instagrammers or influencers. Another facet of ableism that we want to address is our vocabulary and the way that we talk. Obviously, we've talked about phrases that have been levied, lobbed against us, volleyed into our realm. But we also want to talk about words that others use and that we also may be using without even realizing how ableist they are. So there are many words in our lexicon, especially in American English, in our slang or in the way that we speak. There are many words that actually mean something else, but we use them to describe a wide variety of things that they don't actually mean. So I'll give you an example because that was a little confusing. But what I'm specifically talking about mostly is in the realm of developmental health or mental health. And these are words that are really pervasive in our vocabulary and things you may not even have thought of previously as ableist. So these are really extreme words like a slur, which is the R word. Or they can be things that are seen as more normal, like words like crazy, insane, psycho, manic, OCD, schizo, bipolar. All of these words are used very commonly to describe things that are, have nothing to do with mental health. So, for example, saying something like, oh, the weather is so bipolar today. Oh my gosh, I'm so OCD because I just really like when the paintings are all hanging evenly. Um, who doesn't? Hello, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> like, I'm so OCD. I'm like, no, you just like things to be organized. Lots of people do. Wow, she's had a really crazy day today. She's kind of behaving like a psycho. Oh my God, that situation was so insane. That guy on the train went totally schizo. You should have seen him. Like, it was insane. So these are examples of how we use words that actually have either been used harmfully against people with mental illness or developmental delays in history for a really long time, or using these terms actually lessens how impactful diseases like schizophrenia, bipolar, anxiety, depression are on a person. Somebody isn't crazy because they came up to you and said happy birthday really loud. Oh my gosh, she's so crazy for saying it like that. She's not crazy, and crazy is also something that has been thrown at people to diminish the significant mental illness that they're experiencing. So these words, we've turned them into something that is a descriptor that is not what they mean. Well, and I think something really difficult with that is... That people with mental health conditions can really struggle to get their condition taken seriously. You know, Brittany has generalized anxiety disorder and it really affects her life. And I also used to have very extreme anxiety for years before I did cognitive behavioral therapy. 
which does not work for everyone, by the way. And it was so difficult to get people to take seriously the impact that my anxiety had on my life. And Brittany, I know that you feel the exact same way, right? It is, it's diminished Mm -hmm. and mental health conditions are very stigmatized. They're not taken seriously. And throwing around words that historically have been pejorative towards people with mental health conditions and just using them in everyday vocabulary is very damaging to, I think, the the fight to destigmatize mental health and the fight to have the conditions taken just as seriously as physical illnesses. And in addition to the ones we mentioned for developmental or mental health, there's other common phrases that we use, things like, wow, you didn't see that? What are you, blind? Or, wow, couldn't you hear me yelling? Are you deaf? And using phrases like these, first of all, makes a person seem like there's something deficient with them, when not all people who are blind or deaf consider themselves to be deficient in any way. So that's the first problem with those comments. And the second issue is that it's using terms and experiences that many people may have that have caused roadblocks or difficulties in their lives and levying it as if it's just a trivial thing, like there's something wrong with you because you couldn't hear me. What are you, deaf? Using it to trivialize it and as if it's insulting to be blind or deaf. And that's really damaging, first of all, to the person that is being spoken to that way, but also to the blind and deaf communities just like the community of people with mental health. So a lot of these phrases are really common in our language and ableist, and it's something that we can all work together to eradicate. Well, they're ableist because they're using words that can describe physical or mental health conditions or disabilities, and they're using these words as insults. They're using these words in a negative way to describe people or situations that are not considered positive. Like no one is being like, oh my God, that cake is so manic to be like, oh, that cake is delicious, right? It's these words are being used to describe when we don't like something. I think it's really hard because a lot of languages just have it. I think it's really common to use this language, like super, super common, especially the word crazy or insane. And I also think it can be hard to break that language pattern at the beginning. But the more that we practice putting in different vocabulary, the easier that it gets. And something that I wanted to be really careful of when I wrote my book, just name drop my book here, Finding Peace with a Devastating Disease. I wanted to be really careful about using ableist language, and I imagine that ableist language snuck in there because it is so common in our daily vocabulary, but I worked really hard to comb through the book and try not to put things like, oh, that fell on deaf ears with my doctor, or I was blind to X, Y, Z. Like, I worked really hard to try to pick out ableist language, and again, I'm not saying the book is perfect, but for me, that's something that has become really important to me is trying to watch the way that I speak which is is really hard to do. Like Amy said, unlearning a speech pattern is really difficult. And it's something that Amy and I started doing a while ago. And it's still been a daily practice because, like we said, crazy and, and insane particularly are really common in our lexicon. So we want to give you a resource for you to do a synonym swap with 
And this has been really handy. Amy found this, and it's been a really fun way to find the word that you actually mean and use it. It's a little vocab time. And it's really fun because in my own case, I just didn't have a lot of vocabulary. Like I just went to like go like crazy is just like our go to word. Like any situation is like, oh, my God, that was crazy. We in at least in the United States and many parts, we love to use the word crazy all the time. Crazy as a noun, crazy as an adjective. And so trying to find the exact word for what you're talking about, it's it's like a really fun word game. So on wordhippo.com, you can actually put in a word and it will give you like synonyms, but not just at the thesaurus where it gives you like 10 words. It's really cool because it says like, okay, when you use the word crazy, do you mean... Do you mean having a unusually strange character or behavior? I do. What can I say instead of, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. What can I say? You could say, oh, that was weird or that was wacky. That was outrageous. That was fantastical. That was so goofy. That was so baffling. That was so extraordinary. Oh, that was so grotesque. That was illogical. That was laughable. That was incredible. Okay, we got it. Okay, I want to keep going because when is the last time you even heard half of those words being used? They're so used? lovely, actually. They're great. What about saying when you are perfectly happy and have great joy instead of saying, oh, I'm so crazy happy or that was the craziest thing that ever happened to me. It was so great. You could say that's the most blissful I've ever been. That made me feel so delighted. I was transported with joy. I was ecstatic and I screamed with delight when he proposed to me. I was euphoric, enchanted, enthusiastic, ravished, orgasmic. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) G-rated podcast. (laughs) It was so dreamy and pleasing and enjoyable and delightful. I'm over the moon. That's one of my favorites. Well, all of these are fantastic synonyms that we can substitute out for words. So I think the first step, if if we're looking to swap out some of our language, I think the first step is recognizing when we use that language. The first step is making an account on wordhippo.com and just having the <laughs> app in our pocket and being ready to talk to someone. You're like, oh, my gosh, the other day that was such a cray. Hold on one second, please. <laughs> and you pull out the app and you're like. Hmm, which usage of crazy am I Keep holding, going please. For? Um, Keep just holding. One, se- one second. One. Ooh. Oh, vexed. That was it. Yes. <laughs> I was so, he was so vexed. It was vexful. <laughs> it was vexful. Okay, Amy's doing it on hard mode, on, on live editing mode. My recommendation is to just start noticing when you say these words in your everyday conversation, if that's something you choose to do. You're going to say them, so don't beat yourself up if you say them. Just notice and say, wow, I, I really do use those words. Okay. And then after you've noticed that you've used those words, pay attention to when you're using them and try to think of a couple quick alternates. So when you're talking about something being outrageous, you can use the word outrageous. Or I got the craziest birthday cake. Maybe you mean the most delicious birthday cake. You can use vocabulary words that are more accessible at first. And then you could have all the fun vocabulary words, but it's just starting out small and you're going to slip up and it's important for you to not beat yourself up over that because, again, this is learned habit. We learn these words 
for our entire lives to say them. But it really does make a difference when you're talking to somebody who struggles with any of these commonly levied terms. It makes a difference when I notice that somebody doesn't use those words. And when I describe how I'm feeling, I'm not met with, wow, that does sound crazy. I'm met with, wow, that sounds difficult or that sounds challenging or that sounds intense. It feels safe. And that's something that we in the endometriosis community want to feel when it comes to what we're experiencing. So we can also then give that to other people as well. So, of course, when talking about ableism, we want to highlight inaccessibility and lack of accommodation, which I think we've really been talking about throughout these episodes that we've been doing on disability and internalized ableism and ableism. But we just wanted to outright mention that in our society, there is such a lack of accessibility in so many different ways. And accessibility is often a total afterthought if it's even a thought at all. Some examples of this can be on social media, things like a lack of captions or a lack of image descriptions that can help make a post more accessible. Websites oftentimes don't follow any accessibility standards, which can make them unusable for people with various disabilities. There can be lack of access for people with mobility-assistive devices. There can be lack of access to stores, restaurants, transport, work, schools. Ironically, some accessible toilets in public places are not even accessible. <laughs> Another irony here, not really, some, it's absolutely horrible. A horrible irony is healthcare facilities may have an accessibility for people using mobility-assistive devices. They can have accessibility when it comes to telehealth appointments. I think telehealth has been a huge game changer for so many of us because We're not feeling well, or it's difficult to leave the house. And now we can do appointments virtually, which is so wonderful, can save us so much time and energy. But for some people, when there is not large print or captions or sign language, or there's difficult platforms to navigate, those are barriers that lead to inaccessibility. There's just so many examples in our society of of services, of apps, of platforms that just accessibility has not been thought of. And disabled people are an afterthought or they're just not thought of at all. And I think this highlights the need for representation because when disabled people are left out of management positions, of government jobs, of jobs that hold change-making power or are bringing something new to light, or just have an impact, there's this lack of representation. Disabled people are being left out of decisions, especially healthcare decisions that would really impact us. And it shows. It shows in the lack of accommodation and lack of accessibility in places where at this day and age, things should be accessible. We should not be an afterthought and we should not be fighting to just have basic health equity and basic social equity. We also want to take a moment to acknowledge the intersectionality of disability. And what that means is including other identities that people can hold in addition to an identity of disability, which means that people may not only experience ableism, but they could also experience ableism and racism and sexism or classism and ageism or fatphobia or discrimination of any other kind 
The multiple identities that we may hold are intertwined, and the discrimination we may face due to the combination of these identities can differ. They can look like lack of access to resources, or being seen as invisible, or lack of opportunity. I think since the start of the pandemic, this has been especially highlighted for people who have intersecting identities that include disability. People who have identities from historically marginalized communities face additional barriers and additional inequities because of this pandemic. The situations they were dealing with were already difficult enough, but they've been exacerbated by the pandemic and by everything surrounding the pandemic. And what this looks like is a shift in societal attitudes or further marginalizing these communities or lack of representation, lack of visibility of these communities. And especially in terms of disability, it's a huge problem because the lack of access can often mean lack of access to health care, especially in times of crisis. Intersectionality is important because it's important to know that all of these things can stack and all of these things are linked and can affect one another. And just because we experience one identity and the roadblocks that may come with it doesn't mean we don't experience the slew of other roadblocks that come with another identity we may hold. So it's important to always recognize the intersectionality in all of the ways that these interactions can make things more difficult for different types of people. And since you mentioned the pandemic, I do also want to point out that during the pandemic, during the lockdowns, during everything that's been happening with COVID over these last years, we have seen major, major ableism in society in so many different ways. And Brittany and I are not going to go into that today, but there have been plenty, like so many so many articles written about ableism during the pandemic. So if that's something that interests you to keep reading about this, to get all fired up or, you know, to feel validated in the way that you were feeling like, oh, I, God, that was so ableist. And then, you know, to see it written about, then there is a lot of information out there. And I think that ableism is being talked about more. And that could just be because I'm following so many people on on my social media accounts who are disabled or who have chronic illness. So I'm really bombarded with talk about ableism, internalized ableism, fighting against ableism. But I do think it's being talked about more among the mainstream. Like I said, I've seen articles written in the Washington Post and the New York Times on CNN on major mainstream news outlets where disabled and non-disabled people are frequenting. And these discussions are happening. And so, like many things with COVID and the pandemic, it is coming to light more and more about the inequities and the lack of opportunity and the lack of representation and the lack of access that so many different groups of people experience every single day. And as tragic and as devastating as the pandemic has been, I hope that moving forward, one positive thing that can come out of all that we've experienced individually and collectively in the world in these past few years is forging a new quote-unquote normal and new standards that are less ableist, that are less racist, that are less classist, that have less discrimination and biases and oppression and marginalization of different groups of people. I don't know when 
that will happen. I don't know how long that will take. But I think little by little, we can work towards this better, more equitable future for all of us. And working on our ableism, both outwardly and internally towards ourselves, is something that each of us can do to help work towards a better world. Thank you for spending time with us again to talk about ableism. It's a heavy topic, and it's a multifaceted topic, and it's something that is very near and dear to probably most of us because we deal with ableism daily, having a chronic illness or a disability. So this is a conversation that's really important for each of us because it's really important for us to be able to identify ableist language and ableist and ableist viewpoints in society and how we can combat those for ourselves and for our own benefit, and how we can also ensure that we're being kind and compassionate to the people in our community and in other communities that are also affected by illness or disability. So even though we've done a two-part series on ableism, there is still so much more that we could talk about, but time is up. TikTok. (laughs) We do want to say that in our series, we have one more episode that is coming next time, and it is tips and advice for asking for disability accommodations, and it's about what Brittany and I have learned as we have been navigating the workplace waters to ask for accommodations. So we hope that that will be helpful for anyone who's looking for accommodations for work or for school. Now, the question we're going to leave you with, well, actually, it's homework. So you have to pick one of the synonyms that we named or any on the website that we mentioned and pick one of the words that will be your substitute for ableist language for this week, specifically the words crazy and insane. So what are you going to use, Amy? All right. I choose because I feel like I would I used to commonly say like, oh, my gosh, that's so crazy. It's just when I wanted to say that's so shocking. That's so astonishing. That's so unanticipated. That's so startling. So those are mine. Shocking, unanticipated, startling, sudden, amazing, remarkable, astounding. Oh, my. Wow, I have so many. She's a, she is a walking thesaurus. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the easiest swaps that you can make is the word ridiculous. And so that's one of my go-tos is when I say like, wow, yeah, that is when I would maybe say crazy or insane. I would say ridiculous. Because it is outlandish or astonishing or it makes me incredulous. And so I use the word ridiculous because that describes an intense and unexpected and overwhelming situation. And I can use a word that actually means that instead of a word that doesn't. Also, when you want to say, oh, my gosh, I'm so crazy about these two girls, Amy and Brittany, and their incredible (laughs) podcast. That's why I'm going to share about it on my social media. Thank you for doing that. But if you want to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm crazy about these two lovely, chronically ill, dynamically disabled <laughs> biatches. <laughs> when you want to be like, "Woo, I'm crazy about them. What are you going to say? That's what I want to know. Screw oh, that's the, the real question. Yeah, I want to okay. know what they're going to say about us. I want you to be like, well, I guess I can't tell you. But he's going to anyway. <laughs> if I was going to say it about myself, like I'm so crazy about me and Brittany, I would say, wow, I am just head over heels. I'm over the moon. I am smitten <laughs> with Amy and Brittany. I'm enamored. <laughs> so please write us and let us know how, substitute word for crazy, you are for us. Outrageously in love. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's how I feel about you. I, I love you an outrageous thank amount. Thank you. <laughs> 
So thank you for listening today. Thank you for taking the time to try to understand ableism a little bit better and therefore try to understand ourselves a little bit better and the experiences that we're living under the lens of ableism, which is just so pervasive and prevalent in our lives, especially as people with chronic illness or disabilities. If you'd like to support us, you can rate our podcast in your podcast app, reach out to us via email or Instagram, or buy us a coffee via the support page on our website. Okay, well, we are totally smitten with you. Aww. 